The anticipation across Afghanistan had been building for months. I feel very happy as our country is secure. I feel very happy that schools are reopening for girls. Since the Taliban takeover in August, most Afghan teenage girls have sat at home every day while their brothers and younger sisters have gone to school. Then the Taliban announced that for the new school year, all girls would be able to return to the classroom again. Thank God, the Taliban are also like the previous government. My family has allowed me, and thank God, now the Taliban has also given us permission to go to school. We are very happy. On the morning of March 23rd, many girls' secondary schools were lively, full of chatter and lectures and giggles. Classes resumed. And then, abruptly, they stopped again. The Taliban-led government suddenly ordered most secondary schools for girls to close. Students packed up their bags and headed home. The schools had only been open for a few hours before the Taliban shut them down again indefinitely, plunging Afghan girls' futures back into uncertainty. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. For this current regime, to not accept the daughters of Afghanistan, the daughters of Afghanistan will never forgive them. That's Pashtana Durrani. She's the executive director of Learn Afghanistan, an organization dedicated to expanding education access for girls. While schools have been closed these past seven months, Pashtana's organization has set up secret ones for girls across the country. You may also remember her from one of our episodes last August. It's going to break me into a million pieces if I have to become a refugee again, if I have to flee again. I really don't want that to happen. It's, it's, I don't want that to happen. At that stage, Pashtana was crushed. she just fled her home and watched her hometown of Kandahar fall to the Taliban. Now, seeing Afghan girls turned away from school yet again, she says crushed doesn't do justice to how she feels. I'm going to be honest, at this point, I'm furious. You can be crushed about things when you know that there is no other better option. Like it's something like cancer. You have no power over it. But I'm furious at the fact that we have power over it. We know the alternatives. We know the solutions. And yet the whole world is watching it and they don't even care. Um, I see the whole international community standing up in solidarity and being shocked and being shattered or Twitter. But what have they done in the past seven to six months? How many girls have they supported? So for me, at this point, I am going to be honest. The Afghan in me is furious. It's not hopeless. It's furious. Pashtana says she's furious the schools are closed and also about the way the news was rolled out. In Kabul, many girls were in school already when the Taliban announced that classes were shutting down. In other parts of the country, girls showed up to a locked school door. And in others still, they were told as they were leaving their homes. Pashtana says these anecdotes weave a damning tale of mismanagement. It shows how much miscommunication is happening between different regions of Afghanistan. They are not on the same page for one simple policy, opening schools. 
One other thing that they may not be on the same page about, or at least hasn't been communicated clearly, is why they said schools can't open. So we're hearing that this is specifically for girls in seventh grade and older who are barred until further notice. Do you know why? What are you hearing about why? So first, we do have to analyze it more critically than we have been told in the past, which is, oh, the schools are closed because we don't have resources. No, you get revenues from the custom. Where is that money going? That's the first thing. The second thing is you did open up universities, right? Kids from class one to class six, girls can go. Boys from grade one to grade 12 can go. So then what is the specific grade seven to grade 12 thing that is holding them back? On my Twitter feed, I saw several videos of girls outside of their school grounds crying because they were told they couldn't go in or that they had to go back home. They're in their uniforms, they're in hijab, and they're ready to start their school year. What did you think when you saw those videos? Yes, there were girls crying, but there were also girls who were protesting, who were outside, who were actually demanding the schools to open collectively standing with each other, asking the world, the Taliban, the regime, to open school, to access the basic right. So for me, that makes me proud because those are young teenage girls in a country where women are being beaten down, where women activists have gone missing. So that makes me proud. But then at the same time, it kind of disappoints me that a girl has to protest in her teenage years to access education. So the Taliban is still promising that girls' schools will reopen at some point. But even if that happens, activists are expressing a lot of skepticism. Unlocking the school doors doesn't guarantee a good education inside. And also, the Taliban has imposed certain conditions on schools for girls. What are some of those conditions? What would school be like? So what Human Rights Watch, if you study their research right now, it says that the girls won't be, uh, like the hours of uh, teaching have been reduced when it comes to sciences. We need doctors, right? For doctors, you have to teach the girls sciences when they are young so that they can actually understand what science is. They have to have a, a proper foundation. Apart from that, literature courses, English courses have been limited. But in today's world, you do need English So these are the sort of terms that discourage learning STEM and that discourage career choices in itself. The Human Rights Watch report that Pashtana is referencing mentions a lot of problems with the Taliban's education plan for girls. We talked to one of the report's authors, Heather Barr, and she started listing them out. Teachers haven't been paid in months And then there's the whole issue of the number of female teachers and whether that's sufficient. The Taliban are coming into schools regularly, often armed, to inspect what everyone's wearing and enforce these sort of new rules they've made about dress codes and conduct and so on and so forth. We're hearing from multiple provinces that the Taliban are changing the curriculum, reducing subjects like math and science and English and sport and replacing them with more and more religious studies. So there are a whole bunch of issues other than whether the school's actually open or not that relate to whether girls are able to get proper education. Heather gave a little more detail on those school inspections the Taliban is carrying out. Because the idea of armed men showing up in school is enough to make any parent or student nervous, but especially so in the context of the past few months. 
A teacher told us she and everyone else in the school was so frightened all the time during these inspections because um, the Taliban was sort of pull up and they call them rangers. They're these trucks that the Taliban have. And they sort of screech to a halt and jump out of the trucks all with weapons, with guns and come in the school and she said they start yelling if they see anyone who's wearing a bit of lipstick or has their hair showing and they'll be shouting at a girl. And the thing is that the Taliban have a very fearsome reputation and there are incidents that are happening regularly of the Taliban beating women in public. These women protesters in Kabul say they were followed by Taliban fighters who then beat and whipped them. You know, everyone knows that they beat and abducted some of the women's rights protesters. And so they've created this climate of fear where they don't even need to inflict that much violence. They inflict enough that everyone knows that's a risk for every woman every day as she goes outside her home. And if the threat of violence weren't enough to keep girls home, Heather says there's also little incentive for girls to go to school. Even if they finished 12th grade, the Taliban wouldn't allow them to do much with that hard-earned education. Having access to education isn't an issue that can be cut off from the broader context of what's going on with women's rights in Afghanistan. The Taliban are refusing to let women work in almost any occupation. After the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan in August, women have largely been barred from schools and jobs Many women who are the sole breadwinners in their families are running out of money. Imagine the kind of sorrow of being a new engineering graduate or a new, I don't know, IT graduate. And a year ago, you had all these dreams about, you know, how you were going to have a career and support your family and become a kind of a pioneer in, in Afghanistan. And now you're a prisoner in your family's home. For the most part, women can only work teaching girls or providing health care to women. And that immediately destroys many of the incentives for girls to study. And while girls are coping with lack of education and lack of options if they do get education, they're also dealing with an ongoing economic and humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. The humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan right now is so severe that the UN is saying that 95% of people aren't getting enough food to eat. And it's important to remember that no education is actually free. So the government schools, they don't charge fees, but you still have to buy pens and notebooks and supplies and uniforms and so on and so forth. And so if you aren't getting enough food to eat and you haven't got enough food to feed your children, you can't buy a pen. So, you know, the international community has a whole bunch more work to do in trying to end the really devastating rollback of women's rights that's happened in Afghanistan since the Taliban regained power on August 15th. Part of Heather's job is making suggestions for how people outside of the country can support the goals of Afghans fighting to improve the situation from the inside. Donors need to think really strategically about how they can provide funding that helps build a future for Afghanistan and that also creates incentives for the Taliban to respect women's rights and other human rights. So one of the recommendations that we've made is that donors have to fund parts of the education system that are not discriminating against girls. And they can't fund the parts 
that are discriminating. So for example, if a situation like the one that exists now were to continue where girls' secondary schools are open in some provinces but not in others, then um, donors should only fund the provinces where education is equally available to girls at the secondary school level. So donors need to think really hard about what kind of incentives they're creating and how they're supporting communities and activists and girls who are themselves pushing back against the Taliban and asking for their rights. But until that pressure from both within Afghanistan and outside is able to bring change, Afghan teenage girls are forced to live with the consequences. The last seven, seven and a half months in Afghanistan have been absolutely brutal. You know, we talk to people a lot who sound suicidal. They're considering the options available to them in their life and they're concluding that none of them are going to work. This generation of young women in Afghanistan, they grew up in the shadow of the Taliban. They grew up, you know, sort of hearing their whole lives about how their mothers or their older sisters or their aunts had suffered from 96 to 2001 when the Taliban were last in power. And they, I feel like in some ways they were, they were kind of rushing out and kind of chasing their dreams with um, extra energy because of that, because they felt like they were the lucky generation and they had to grab these opportunities that other women before them hadn't had. And so to have it all come crashing down kind of almost overnight was devastating and unimaginable. Bashdana says it's been frustrating to watch as the Taliban strips away at girls' rights over and over. But she's also been frustrated with how the issue is discussed outside of the country. One thing I just want to highlight is the fact that a lot of people think that this is cultural. This is not cultural. I come from rural Afghanistan. We had these bookshelves that were made of mud within the walls, and we call them takhcha. And they have Quran Sharif, they have all the books from literature, from poetry, from Hafiz to Iranian poetry to other poetries in the region. We have scientific books, we have books that are focusing on algebra. In the winters especially, we sit around uh, this one dish that we make, which is called landi. And then people tell stories, the grandmothers, the grandfathers, they tell the stories and we listen to the radio. Even in the morning when girls are doing khamak, which is like a very traditional embroidery, they listen to BBC uh, Pashto, right? That's education in itself. And when people say that it's cultural, it just offends me on so many levels that it's not cultural. We love education. We love it in every form. But the world is not still willing to listen to the other side of the story yet. So what is a girl to do? Because you've just painted a very bleak picture. What are the options right now? I think looking at the current policy and the way even teachers are being treated right now, I don't think there are any alternatives. There are a few selected women who are actually at the airport who are right now having a career or are being paid for that. Other than that, all the women in the workforce is at home. I don't see anyone. And the ones who are working with international organization are working from home remotely. Although offices are open, although there are men who are in offices, but there are no women. So you are a visiting fellow at Wellesley College in Massachusetts here in the United States. And you're still running Learn Afghanistan simultaneously. So you have your hands full. Do you think that this generation of girls can see a future for themselves similar to yours? I think yes, most definitely yes. 
When I started the first school post August 15, I just sat there and I kept on thinking to myself I was like, okay, what if somebody doesn't show up? Like it's intimidating to invite girls to a school post August 15 in the stronghold of the Taliban. And then girls did show up. There were girls who were in schools. They did attend and they are still attending. If you go to my Twitter handle, I I like to brag about them a lot. They create 2D animations and animated videos. They create graphics designing courses and they're so happy about it. That gives me hope that yeah, they are most definitely becoming the bright future of Afghanistan in one way or the other. They are going to become animators, they are going to become graphic designers. They are going to become teachers. And that's the take. If you want to see those videos Pashtana mentioned, she's so proud of, we'll link to them from our social media pages. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. And another bit of news. Today we say goodbye to one of our producers, Priyanka Tilve. She's moving on to a new job and we wish her the best and we'll miss her a lot. Priyanka produced this episode along with Nay Alvarez, Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Al-Milek and Munira Al-Dosari are the Takes Engagement Producers. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, and Stacey Samuel is executive producer. Special thanks to Mohsin Moman for his help with this episode. We'll be back. <laughs>